0: thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day.
1: We are a people. His love sets free, connecting people to live life abundantly. You know you always have a home with us. Connect Church. I don't know about you guys, but I am excited
0: for school to start. And there, there, I mean, there's so many different reasons. If you are the parent of a junior high boy. School means you start saving so much money in food. I mean, I was, Chris and I are talking about this. You go to the cabinet, you open it up, and there's like no food left. Or, here's my favorite one, they will leave you a little bit of chips in the bottom of the chip bag so they can say they didn't finish it off. But it's the crumbs that you can't do anything with anyway. And you're like, what's going on with this? And, and so, you know, we're, we're excited for that. But also next week we're going to pray over our students and our teachers, and we got to get for all of our teachers that we had back to school, and it, it is a, a fun time, it's an exciting time, and it's amazing how quickly time flies because for many students we have, this is the beginning of your senior year, your, your last year at home. There's no yaying about it, Jack. Your mom's going to cry when you leave. But um, we're, we're excited next week to, to join that off. Today we, we jump right back in the second week of our series, The Circle Maker, praying circles around your dreams, your biggest fears, and just giving things over to God. There was a pastor at a church and he decided he was going to have a garden party and he sent invitations out to all the ladies at the church say, hey, come and join us for the garden party. And then later he found out that he forgot to put the name of one of the ladies on the list. And he was humiliated, he was embarrassed, and his wife said, you just go over there and you make things right and you apologize. He goes, okay. So he, he walks over there and he says, I am so sorry your name get, didn't get on the list. We would really love and appreciate and so many people have been asking to make sure that you're going to be there, and she looks at him. And she goes, "I'm sorry, Pastor. It's too late. I've already prayed
2: for rain." Isn't
0: that how it works sometimes? In Numbers, the, the backstory that have, we're going to jump into this. In, in Numbers, it's, it's a book about the numbers, and they are talking about the census, everyone who's in Israel, and all all the names. They have all these great stories that are that are mixed in there during the years of. Israel wandering in the wilderness after they would left Egypt, before they inherited Israel. And while they're out there in the wilderness, there were people who started to complain, and they started to say, man, I, I wish we had this, I wish we had that. And there's a, a great book written called Joshua. And in that book, Joshua, who's supposed to be Jesus, comes back, and he's a sculptor. instead of a. He, that's how he does his woodworking. But he makes this sculpture of Moses, and he has such angst on his face. Like you could actually feel the pain he was going through, leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. But can you imagine, you just freed them from 400 years of slavery, and now you're out in the wilderness, and what are the people saying? Can we just go back? Have you ever been on a car ride and somebody asked you the question, can we just go back? Have you ever been on any type of trip, and you're, and you're about at that halfway point, not quite halfway, and you start having those questions. Can we just go back? Can we, can we turn things around? Can we just undo all of this, pretend like this isn't what we wanted, this isn't what we asked for? I remember the, the day of our, of my wedding, Terry's at my wedding, when we got married 24 years ago. I remember that day realizing that this is a big day. There's no turning back. It wasn't like I could get married and in six weeks in and go, hey, you know, just kidding, JK, hashtag. No, no, I knew at that moment there was was no turning back. It was all in, and and there was no way I could say, you know, this is the point of no return. And sometimes with our prayers with God, we've got to go all in. Even though there are people around us who are saying, hey, can we just go back? Can we just go back? But, but listen, to the, the, in, in Numbers chapter 11, God had, had released the Israelites. They're wandering in the wilderness, and he took care of all of their food needs. I have no clue what manna tastes like. I've never had any manna myself. But God's taking care of all of their dietary needs. You know, this super vitamin called manna comes from the sky. All you have to do is go out there and collect it every morning. They can make different things with it. It's great food. But what do the people say? tired of this diet I want meat in my diet. So here's what happens. Verse 4, chapter 11. The foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we see is this manna. The manna looked like small colander seeds, and it was pale yellow like gum resin. The people would go around and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with their hand mills and pounding it in the mortars. Then they boiled it in pot and made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. When the manna came down to the camp of the dew during the night, Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry, Moses was also aggravated. Have you ever read something in the Bible and say, that's an understatement? The Lord heard their whining. Again, you know, whenever you've got on a long trip with somebody, and after a while they start whining. Terry, when she was in college, traveled on a group called Freedom, and um, we affectionately called the group Bondage. And I, I never traveled on the, on the group. I was, you know, People say, hey, do you want to travel? I'm like, OK, first of all, I don't meet any of the criteria. I can't sing. And they're like, oh, you could run sound, and you could do other stuff. And, and I'm like, no, 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 because then what I would do is I would be the guy to carry all the luggage and all the sound equipment. I said, I don't want to do that. And I, I'm out. I tap out. But what happens in when you take six college students and put them in a van for an entire summer is you find out all the things about everybody else that drives you crazy. In fact, Terry said it was the best. It was the best experience to prepare her for marriage. And I go, I know if people drive you crazy to get married to me. I go, what, what what? It's like going to heaven, isn't it? And she goes, I plead the fifth. But here's where they are. They are complaining. And now notice how much did man cost him? Nothing. It was zero dollars. But they said, oh, you know, when we were in Egypt, we had all of this food for free. It wasn't free. You were slaves. You were in bondage. You had to work, and, and they got mad at you. They would take things away from you. They would whip you. They would do all these things. It was not free. Sometimes our memories of the way things used to be or make the old days
2: seem better than they actually.
0: Last week I told the story of Honey, who was a, a, a Jewish rabbi mystic who lived a generation before Jesus. And how he drew a circle, and he got in that circle, and he said, I will not leave the circle until it rains. And he sat there and he prayed until just the right rain came that he was praying for. And I want you to know, when we get in a circle, and we draw a circle around ourselves, and we get in there and pray, there's no backing out of it. There's no saying, hey, I'm going to go to the left, I'm going to go to the right. But we're going to stay right there. He didn't draw a semicircle which said, hey, I'm going to go half in with God and then step out when they're going to get stuff. He says, I am all in on this prayer, and I'm going to pray until I see something happen. I'm going to pray until God answers. I'm going to pray until all these great things take place. When we look in the Bible and you see all these stories of people who went all in with God, when it would seem like foolishness. And they said, No, no, God is on my side. I look at young David in the Old Testament, and and he goes before King Saul, and he says, hey, this Philistine thug is saying all kinds of things against God, and he shouldn't be saying these things, and I can't believe he's saying this against God. If somebody's going to stand up to him, who's going to fight him? Who's going to take him on? And nobody was. And he goes, I'll do it. We look at it and say, man, that's foolishness. I'm telling you something. If you've ever raised boys, you would realize that every boy has that mentality growing up. I'll do it. I'll take him on David, not, not, only was he a, not only was he a boy, not only did he have his faith, but his faith was rightly placed in God. God had set him up. So while everybody else was looking at him and saying, it's foolish, what was David saying? No, no. God prepared me for this moment. And so here we have it, in the middle of the circle. Moses had to learn this lesson. David had to learn this lesson. We have to learn this lesson. If you don't take a risk, you forfeit the miracle. And at some point, if we aren't willing to step out in faith and take a risk, we don't see God move. And I'm not saying you can force God's hand, and they, that just because we want something, just because you take a risk, doesn't mean that God's going to answer our prayers when we want it. But so many times, we pray half-heartedly. We believe half-heartedly. We say, I'm only part way in. And God says, I want to know, are you all the way in? Man's problem. Verses 4 through 6. The foreign rabble who were traveling to the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic we wanted, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this man. Hmm. Now, how quickly did forget! See, man's problem is that we only see what's right in faith. Faith! Takes us to where we have to believe things that we don't see yet. We have to believe in God that we don't see yet. We have to, to believe that God is going to do things that we don't see yet. And He's saying, I want to know, are you willing to step out in faith? Or are you willing to, or do you just want to stay in your own little You ever had those moments where you had to step out in faith and do something that was just crazy? Where God says, I, I want you to do something, I want you to go. And we're scared of it. There was a, a mom in the, back around 1900 took her little boy to the store. He walks into the store and starts talking to the store clerk, the owner of the store. And the guy reaches back, and he had this jar full of hard candies. He said, son, you want to reach in and grab yourself a handful of candy? It's yours. The boy doesn't reach in and goes, like, no, no, go ahead. You can you can reach in there and grab some of the boy says no, 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 that's okay. About that time, the store clerk reaches in there, grabs a handful of candy, and hands it to the boy. As they're walking out, the mom looks at the little boy and she says, You know, you've never been scared before. Why why did you hesitate when he said, Stick your hand in there? The boy looks at his mom and says, Well, the store clerk has much bigger hands than me. He can grab more. Sometimes faith is saying, you know, God, I want to grab your handfuls, not my handfuls. I don't ever want us to be accused that we're a name it, claim it people, but sometimes we don't ask God. We we stop praying, and we fail, and we stop short of God. And God's saying, why don't you ask? Why don't you pray? Because we're only halfway in, and we're afraid of, that we would look foolish if we prayed and God didn't answer. After 400 years of slavery, God had delivered miraculously delivered the Israelites from slavery, had miraculously brought them across the Red Sea, had miraculously fed them every single morning, and yet they still lacked faith that God was going to take care of them. They, they were still complaining, well, God, this looks better, and that looks better, and that looks better. Have you ever been blessed by God and looked at someone else's blessing and said, well, they're, they're blessed. their blessing is bigger than my blessing? As a little boy, I remember for Christmas, my parents getting my brother and I BMX bikes. They, they, they were so cool. They had They had yellow tires on them. They were black bikes with Yellow tires, yellow rims, they had a padding that went up. My brothers actually had a handbrake on it because he was older than me and, and mine had the oldest school where you push back on the brakes and you would you could stop. I mean, they were so cool. And I was so excited about it. We took him out. We lived up north and so when you took your bike out to go riding at, at Christmas presents, it meant that you slipped and slid. you slipped all over the place. You would slide, you'd fall down, you'd get back up, you'd fit over again. But you didn't care because you wanted to take your Christmas present out for that first ride. And then I got to school, somebody else brought their bike to school that first day. I wasn't allowed to take my bike to school, mainly because my dad drove me to school. So it wasn't like I was abused or anything. They drove me to school. So why would I ride my bike? But somebody else had their bike to school, and you know what? Their bike was better than my bike. And we were thinking, man, I, I wish I had their bike. Completely lost in all of it. I had a brand new bike. And I remember telling a friend of mine, I said, Yeah, I said, you know, his, his bike's better than mine. It does this, it does this, it does this. And my friend looked at me and he goes, You're kidding, right? Your parents bought you a BMX bike and you're complaining that it's not as nice. How selfish are you? And I'm sure my parents they were here to visit yeah, Mark Woodself versus kid. But our problem is we look at other people. And we say, Well, God, why can't you do this for me? or why can't you do that for me? Why can't you do that for me? And God has blessed us exactly eighteen
2: seventy
0: six in Minnesota. They had a terrible grasshopper problem. The grasshoppers came in during the summer, destroyed most of their crops. And so the next year, 1877, the spring of that year, the governor had called for a four days of fasting and prayer amongst all the people of, of Minnesota. Can you imagine a governor standing up and asking for fasting and prayer? That's exactly what he did. And so in April, the the people during that time, a holy hush came over the entire state as they Started praying for God to to, to move and God interceded. These these grasshoppers wouldn't come back. And on April 26, it suddenly got abnormally warm. And, and so as these summer temperatures popped up, and suddenly the grasshoppers started to hatch out of their cocoons, they started to come out and they they, they started to take over the land. And they're like, "Oh no, it's it's 1876 all over again." And so for three days, these Grasshoppers swarmed over Minnesota. And then on day four, it froze. And all the grasshoppers died. They said in the summer of 1877, they had their best harvest ever. Sometimes we, we look at what God is doing and we're like, oh God, you, you didn't hear our prayer. God, maybe you misunderstood what I'm saying, but God's saying, no, no, no. I'm answering your prayer, I'm moving in your prayer. Sometimes we we look at what God is doing, we don't understand God's map. The Lord said to Moses, in verse 23, Has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my words come true. We talk about the dream of what God has placed on us. We talk about how God has led us to this point, how God has opened up doors and given us opportunities and where God has called us to go, God will not forsake us in that. And so, ten years ago, God put a dream on us of being in this building, but the problem was that we couldn't afford to get into this building. And so, over the course of ten years of God moving and and closing doors, of God moving and closing doors, of God moving and closing doors, and, and people coming up to me and saying, well, Mark, maybe God doesn't want you here. Maybe He has something else in store. And I said, well, I know that... He spoke to me. I, I know that he, he called us to be here, and and then when God opened the door, it happened so fast, I got whipped. I, I seriously thought the door was closed. I thought we were four or five years away from it, and I get a phone call, and within three weeks, we were in the process of moving into this building. I look at Jesus, and the miracle of feeding the five thousand. And, and Jesus preaching, all these people are following, they're flocking up on the hillsides, and he's giving the sermon, and and people lives are being changed, and people are excited about it, and they're not going home. And, and so the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, uh, really great sermon, it's time to wrap it up and send everybody away. And I know what you're thinking. Hey, I, I've been there. I, when you preach past noon, I'm thinking, it's time to wrap it up so we can go home and eat. And Jesus looks at him, and, he, and they said, he goes, well, go find some food. They come back to Jesus and said, hey, we found one little boy who has five loaves of barley and two fish. And so you know what Jesus says next? Eat it. He takes the fish. He takes the bread. He, gives, he, he breaks it, gives thanks for it, and breaks it, hands it out to me, and says, I go hand it out. Can you imagine the disciples are handing out this fish and stuff? They're like, hey guys, uh, fish and chips. Who wants some? And they're hoping that nobody's going to take them up on this offer. As they're handing it out, they are seeing God multiplying God's miracle. Not only did Jesus feed all 5,000, he had 12 basketballs left over. So in my math, 5 plus 2 equals 7. If you're taking new math, I'm not sure what that number is for you guys. But in God's math, 5 plus 2
2: equals 5,000, the remainder of 12.
0: Sometimes when we pray, we, we pray... On our economy, we, we pray uh, on an earthly, what we can see, what we need. And God says, no, I've got something better for you. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be awesome. Because God, God's provision is greater than my provision. You see God's provision. In Numbers 11, 25-27, And the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But this had never happened again. Two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the, the elders, but they had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied there in the camp. A young man ran to report to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. A.W. Tozer says, our problem is that we have a low view of God. And by low view of God is... Our from the very beginning, the very moment of time, we've been trying to recreate God into our image, and God's trying to transform us into his image. In, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, it talks about the Imago Dei that we are made in the image of God. We are image bearers. And, and so, but from the very moment man sinned, what did we start doing? We tried to recreate God. We tried to bring him down. We tried to put him in a box that we could understand is so that He could fit our needs. And every time we tried to recreate God, God says, no, 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 there's something bigger out there. The masters at recreating God in their image were the Greeks. Have you ever studied Greek mythology? You would say, what kind of crazy person would believe this stuff? They all did. They studied it. They, they, they believed that it was God. I mean, their gods would come down, they would they would have intercourse with mains here on earth, and then they would reproduce demigods, a.k.a. Hercules. They were not holy, they were not set apart, they had all the same flaws that you and I had. Therefore, the Greeks, and later the Romans could say, hey, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good. And then you had the Romans, who right around 100 B.C. decided that it wasn't just good enough to have their God, but then they would deify their Caesars, their emperors. And so that that meant that their Caesars, their emperors, could then become God. And they had all these problems because mankind has always been trying to recreate God into our image. Why? Because being transformed is difficult. Our view of God, we've we make God so small because sometimes we feel that our problems are bigger than God, but nothing is bigger than God. And when you read Genesis chapter 1, and I mean, God spoke. God said, let there be light. Guess what? There was light. Think about how big god has to be see my life you can go back 1973 there's a beginning point i began in 1973 you know there's no beginning point for god he always has this try wrapping your brain around that if you want to take a philosophy course if you want to talk about that philosophy of christian thought or, or uh, philosophy of theology any of, the, any, of those, any of those heady type of classes that are that are i mean they'll give you a headache by just reading them Wrap your brain around that. God always has And He always will be. We have a low view of God, and sometimes we think that our problems are greater than God's. And maybe the God doesn't understand our problems. And maybe that God can understand our problems. When I talk about, about sin and how it affects There's a guy in the Bible, and his name is King David. Do you know that every time King David sinned, somebody else died? King David had an affair with Bathsheba. He had to have Uriah's husband, or Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, put to death to cover up the fact that he was pregnant with King David's baby. King David moved the Ark of the Covenant, not the Ark of the Covenant, not the way that God told him to. He said, "I want." four priests, they had these handles on the Ark of the Covenant and two will march in front and two will march in back, but he put it on an ox cart and had it rolling and it starts rocking around and a guy reached out just to steady the Ark of the Covenant, but it was against the law that touched the Ark of the Covenant. He touches it and is immediately killed. Another time, David wanted to know how big his kingdom was and God said, don't count it. Don't count it. David's like, no, I, I need to know. I need to know. David counted it. Came through. People died because he did not obey God. I say this because we put such a small view on God. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to life through him. God's desire, God's dream is for us to come in a relationship with. But you know what? God also answers prayer. At another point in the Old Testament, Abraham is having a conversation with God, and Abraham had a nephew who was in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he said, hey, if there are 50 righteous people there, would you save the entire town for 50 people? And he prays that God gets all the way down to the, the 10, he goes, surely he would save the town for 10. And God keeps saying, yes, 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 yes. So many times, we stop short. We just pray that initial prayer will go ahead. It's good enough, I pray. And we'll talk about this in two weeks, but sometimes you need to pray long. We'll talk about this next week. Sometimes you need to pray hard. But I want to share with you guys a video of a couple that prayed before God.
3: I I know what the Bible says about how I knew that cognitively, but didn't practice that. course how I mentally approached things. I had an understanding of how God can provide. But I didn't believe it enough that I prayed like it.
4: Oldest of three, I was always like the mother type. Everyone's always like, oh my goodness, you're going to be such a good mom one day.
3: We decided... That if we if were going to have kids, we wanted to try around 30, because we didn't want to get too old or whatever for us. And so I would say for a good a solid year, maybe, um, we tried, um, let's see what happens. It um, didn't work out.
4: I had some hormone issues growing up, but I just thought, oh, I'm sure once we try, we'll get pregnant. Everyone else does.
3: We started the process of going to a specialist kind of early on daily uh, shots, blood work checkups, a lot of back and forth. A lot of mental ups and downs.
4: I felt just what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your body? Why won't it work?
3: So come next spring, we're in church.
4: I remember very distinctly, I have in my journal, God just told me, I need you to spiritually wake up so that I can physically.
3: I'm listening to the service, and she's over here journaling and, like, peering up. I'm like, I don't know what's going on because <laughs> I'm not that emotional about anything. Um, so we leave church, and she tells me, you know, basically what she feels about telling her.
4: There's no, like, explanation of why I'm a person. That's just always been the reason. Everything's just asleep. That was the verbiage that the doctors were using. So for God to tell me that in church on a Sunday was huge. Okay. Hey, if,
3: if that's the case, what does that mean? You know, what, what do we do today? What do we do tomorrow? And so we resolved that we were going to pray about it diligently. The next day, she goes to work. I stay here, and I, I do my quiet time. I like, I don't know where to start. I don't know where you want me to go. I open up my Bible, and he's, he responds. First Samuel is about Hannah, who was a barren and can't have a kid, and God grants her a child. Um, and in that moment, I just remember feeling that God had made a promise. And I never felt like God had cl- so clearly spoken to me in the scripture. From that moment forward, I just remember being like, okay, like, this is what you want from us. You want us getting in the Word and praying. We're going to the specialist again. He very much recommended IVF and mutual fertilization. Which for me was no worry, even an option. Just going into it, and it was expensive. And then at the time, I was like, I, I, I don't think that's really an option for us. If this is what God wants for us, he's going to have to provide it.
4: My prayer was, God, I just want what you want. And that took a lot for me to get to that place, to be able to say, whatever is your will, God.
2: Our journey and
3: the different paths that were in front of us came up in conversation with some friends and some family. One of those families came up to us and told us that they wanted to sponsor us and provide whatever it was. This is crazy. Like I, I've never experienced that, um, where somebody else felt prompted to act without us saying, "Hey, we need money." We, we met with this, this family again, and shared our hearts, and they shared theirs, and we came to the conclusion that it was God working on both sides, uh, prompting us at different times. In July, I guess we start treatment. The goal is to have multiple embryos, so that in the case that one doesn't work, you, have, you can go back a few months later and try. Long story short, at the end of that we had one embryo survive.
4: I lost a lot of hope because it was like, okay, if this doesn't work, it was just a lot to go through for
3: nothing to happen. Everything weighed on this this one embryo working. I, I'm a science guy. Like I, I know numbers and like statistics, but I remember God telling me like he's above the numbers. He's above the statistics. He's above procedures. He he only needs one. October 3rd, they go to implant the embryo doctor prays over us, um, and we leave. What dawned on me was that God has been so good and gracious to us up at this point, point. we've experienced so much of him, like our lives are changed. And our story may not end well, but other people's lives are changed, as well as ours still. So for me, that's why I say, no matter the result, God's good.
1: I'm sorry, Lauren, just calling to congratulate you on your positive pregnancy test. Um, I'm sorry, I couldn't
3: keep using it. was, oh, um, a huge, No, moment, huge sigh of relief.
4: So grateful. could not believe it. I honestly could not believe it. I was like, oh, <laughs> um, this is awesome. Um, but it's still so early that anything can happen.
3: October 31st, uh, we go to the doctor for ultrasound, and, uh, sure enough, they as, as the screen pops up, see
4: too. How did this even happen? Um, we couldn't believe it. It was very cool.
3: In IVF, uh, twins are common when they put multiple embryos in, um, but in our situation, we only had the one.
4: My doctor, after she called to confirm it was twins, she was like, You know, God's working. Because I've been doing IVF for decades and I have not seen. When split within twenty-four hours, and one embryo split within twenty-four hours we can put in someone's body in decades.
3: I pray now with a different confidence. in um, a different I, I would say the use the word power. I, I see how God moves differently now. My prayer life has changed the
2: What is it like to uh, simply pray? And to watch
0: God use other people to speak into your life, to answer those prayers for you. What steps of faith do you need? What is it that God's calling you out? I need you to step out. I need you to, to to follow this way. What are the steps? What's the next step? Saying, "Man, I need you to step out in faith." What decisions do you need to make? What promises has God made to you? You mistake and say, "You know what? This." I remember seemed like years for Terry and I when we were praying and, and asking God for a second child. i won't to go through the whole story. You can look me up later I'll tell you the whole story. I Went through surgery and still we're not getting pregnant. people were just thinking about getting prayed and they were getting pregnant. and you're not getting prayed you're like, dude, God, what's going on? Here? God's wanting. He's wanting to build your faith. He's wanting to do great things. And let me tell you something. God mentioned this prayer like you. God does.
1: People, connected people, all in God's Abandoned leave. You know you are